to our dad on the Jim Crespin Podcast. With me on the podcast today, AJ and Rory Vaden. They're based in Nashville. They run a company called Brand Builders Group. And uh, Rory has actually written one of my favorite books. I got a copy of here, a New York Times bestseller called Procrastinate on Purpose. And uh, if you are a a procrastinator like me, you will enjoy understanding uh, how this can help you. Uh, We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk a lot about what you guys are up to. But first, I want to give folks an introduction to the Brand Builders Group. So please take it away. Yeah. Do you want that one, babe, or you want me to do it? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, Yeah, so Brand Builders Group is a personal brand strategy firm. Um, And so basically, Jim, we kind of play the equivalent of what a CMO would be to a company. We are that for an individual person um, with the emergence of of personal branding. So we we help our uh, we work with entrepreneurs, influencers, artists, executives, Basically, in, we, we work with people. So but I was like, but most of our clients are everyday professionals, you know, financial services, attorneys, lawyers, doctors. Um, it's your everyday professional and work with quite a few artists. Yeah, Brett Kissel in the house. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, and Jim. And photographers. But it's anyone who is trying to leverage their likeness, their reputation to build a business. What are people focused more on building followers or monetizing followers? What should they be focused on or what, what do they, they primarily, what, what are they primarily focusing on? So what are they, what are generally the clients that you guys see? What are they chasing? Are they chasing more followers or do they, they have followers and now they're just trying to figure out how to turn that into something that can equate to cash. You know, it's interesting. Our audience uh, in terms of the people we work with is really split almost 50-50. And 50% of the people we work with are those who have a very established business, but they don't have a great following. So they're trying to leverage their reputation to get more market awareness, to have more cachet and credibility in the marketplace. Whereas the other half have somehow curated a really large online following but have no way of monetizing it. They got into the Instagram game early or Twitter, yeah. you know, or, or YouTube, right? Like you can, you can see examples of that where, uh, and I'm not, I'm not casting aspersions as to, to types of content, but some people just got in early. They hit the algorithm, right. And they built up thousands of followers. And now that's a lot harder to do. It's a different process. It's a lot harder. Definitely is. Yeah. We've actually experienced that because, when we we sold our last company, we had built an eight-figure business together, um, and we sold it in 2018. We had to start our social media following over, and so we had built a large, you know, personal brand and social media following ourselves. And now we've had to rebuild, and it's like, wow, this is a lot harder. <laughs> so we're we're actually doing it with our clients because it's our second time around. Um, but we're we're living those those challenges and pains and realities every day. Well, and it gives you a bit of a unique perspective too, because you're not just talking the talk, you have to walk the walk, you know, like now you actually have to rebuild and, and there's some exposure to your potential clients and marketplace about how well your tactics and strategies are working. And then that gives you more credibility with them. Yeah. It's interesting because so many people think followers equate to dollars and what we really try to help people realize is You know, one of my favorite quotes from one of our good friends, John Rulon, is you don't have to have millions of followers to make millions of dollars. 
and just really helping people figure out how do I monetize the right audience? And it's like, who cares if you've got hundreds and hundreds of thousands of followers, if you can't convert any of those into a service or product that you actually offer. So it would be better in some cases to have 30,000 followers that you can actually work with and create this loyal customer base versus just tons of likes and follows. So it's an interesting dynamic of, you know, you know, what comes first, you know, the chicken or the egg. And in some cases it's like, well, you don't have to have that many followers to still have a really successful business. It's just, what's, what's your end game? Why are you doing it in the first place? And I would say there's a, there's a, you know, when people think of like personal brand and they think of social media, they typically think in two, two types of currency. They think of either followers or they think of money. And I think a big part of what we want them to do is think about a third type of currency, which is trust. And one of the things um, we kind of believe that that personal branding is simply the digitization of reputation. So people think of it as like a new thing, right? Like, oh, personal branding, what is this? The way we view it is, no, this is the same as reputation that has existed for decades and decades in the business world. It's now just becoming visible and uh, palatable. And um, one of the things that we just did, Jim, was, was we hired an independent research firm and we conducted a, a nationwide national research study on trends in personal branding. Now, it was a U.S. study. I know you're in Canada. And, um, so this technically only was an American. It was weighted to the U.S. Uh, census. But one of the things that we found is that 74% of people, Americans, let's just clarify, regardless of age, race, ethnicity, gender, income level, or geographic location, 74% of people said they are more likely to trust someone who has an established personal brand. And trust really is the currency, whether you're a musician, you're an influencer, you're an entrepreneur, you're a corporate CEO, an executive, uh, you know, trust is really what this is about. And so it's, it's transcending beyond the initial mm, kind of like the early trends around just like, oh, it's vanity followers and, and, or even going, oh, Hey, there's a quick way to make a buck. It's actually becoming a, a staple in reputation and trust, which means it affects every part of our business life. So I get that as it pertains to industry professionals or entrepreneurs, for sure. I mean, if you're if you're building out a business and a personal brand in the space of investing, for example, trust is paramount. But as it pertains to an artist, are yeah. we talking more about trust that they're going to continue to churn out music that's going to be like, how do you sort of like equate that over to the artist world? Well, it's interesting. Uh, another part of the study that we did is what creates more engagement online? What, what would prompt you to follow, engage, like, share, promote someone's information and content versus what would turn you off? What would turn you away? And I think this is where trust kind of comes in when we did this national study. As they said that the number one thing that would make me unlike you, unfollow you, not buy your product services, i.e. your music or your art or whatever, would be a lack of authenticity, someone who is fake, someone who promotes products and services that they don't use. In other words, I don't trust you. 
I think that every post you have is just a paid post. You don't use any of this stuff. You'll just put anything up there to make a buck. So that's where trust comes in. And it's making sure that as an artist, you're partnering with brands that you actually use. There's trustworthiness in that and that you're truly authentic. You're not going to stand up on stage and talk about, you know, God, marriage, family, and then have adulterous affairs behind the scenes that come out in a year. Unless you're a politician. (laughs) Then it's just normal. But I think it's a lot of that. That's where the trust factor comes in of that authenticity. It's like, you got a problem? Tell us about your problem. We'll still love you if you'll be honest and real because other people struggle with the problem. But don't stand up there and preach one thing and do something else behind the scenes. Don't promote products and services you don't use just to make a buck. And I think that's where trust really relates to regardless of what you do. Um, It's can I trust you as an individual that what you put out there is real versus you've got a stage persona and then a real life that no one gets to see. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that must be a common issue that you guys run into. I know we run into it on the artist front where I often um, warn my artists against chasing likes versus putting out content that is meaningful to them that they can speak to authentically with some level of, of sincerity, right? Because there's this interesting thing that tra- that happens in social media. It's almost like a trap. It happens in the arts in general where someone will put out a post. They'll get a massive response to it. And, you know, their dopamine systems kick in and they're hooked. And now all of a sudden that kind of defines who they are. Even though if you scroll back on the old post, it's like, you weren't that person before, okay. you know, like, and, and, and I think too, there's an additional factor right now with, um, with the social justice climate and with um, uh, the realities of the divisiveness, especially in the American political system and the, the hyperpolarization where people might be mostly on the left for most of their career, then they'll say something that's a bit more of a right-wing talking point. They'll get a big response from that. And now suddenly they're a right-winger. And it's like, well, hold on a second. Like, <laughs> are you doing this for the likes or are you doing this because you've actually changed your perspective? And you guys must wrestle with that type of thing all the time. Well, yeah, and I'll let you take it. I'll share my two cents. I could very easily commandeer this conversation. So I'll let you go first. You're doing great. You're doing great, Vaden. You're doing you're doing great. Uh, no, go for it. You oh, want to, share you want to ask me to go. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, our our strategy that we try to deploy with personal brands, Jim, and you remember this from going, going through the experience is the, the best piece of personal branding advice that we've ever received, or at least I would say I've ever received, um, was from a guy named Larry Wingett. And early in my speaking career, uh, Larry said, the goal is to find your uniqueness and exploit it in the service of others. Find your uniqueness and exploit it in the service of others. And that really resonated with us and has resonated with us. Now, ironically, Larry wasn't in the business of teaching people how to do that. Um, That was something he said that you should do. And so part of what we developed at Brand Builders Group is a methodology for how to do that. How do you find someone's uniqueness? How do you zero in on who they really are, what they really believe, and who they were, who they feel called to be? And, and we believe that the more that we can access the person's uniqueness, the, the more natural attraction that will result for their brand and for their business. And it is 
much less about what does the world think is popular or what do I think I'm supposed to say. And it's like, no, we, we, we create that attractiveness by helping you be more of who you already are. And uh, that's kind of the process that ironically people need help with because they can't do it themselves because it's like you're you're too close to it. You know, it's you're too close to it, and and you also get uh, too caught up. I think uh, playing to the adulation of the marketplace, right? And I think that that can really skew and and delude your perception. I love that you brought up that quote. When I first listened to you on the Lewis Howes podcast, that's the one that really punched me in the face and stood out to me at the time a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why I wanted to come down and see both of you and go through your program. Um, AJ, I sort of cut you off, so go no, ahead. No, no. I was going to say, it's like, uh, I'm a super J-Lo fan, and J-Lo has one of my favorite quotes of all time, because I think it just rings true specifically to your audience, um, as much as it does any, but she goes, it's not good enough to just be good anymore. You have to be unique. There is so much good talent, right? There are amazing photographers, amazing musicians, amazing songwriters, there's amazing actors, there's... There's amazing dancers. It's not good enough to be good. You have to be unique and original, which is the blessing because that's the only thing you can be if you'll just live into it. Right. It's one of the things the internet really opened up for us. It's like uh, exceptionalism isn't that exceptional anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, like there are a lot of people who are incredibly talented across a wide breadth of, of very difficult tasks and, and, you know, a lot of masters out there. So it's, it's good to remember that, but I want to dial back a little bit to the genesis of how you guys help identify personal brand in uh, conjunction with your clients. And then what you would suggest in terms of prioritization. I know that was a big part of what we did when we sat down in Nashville. It was like, what do you want to say? Who do you want to be? How do you help people sort of discover that process, especially people like artists who are like, well, you know, ultimately I want to be famous and want a big audience, but it's like, how do you get them back to, okay, if we're going to do that, this is where we got to start. Mm-hmm. I'll kind of give you the, my high level take, and then you can break it down in our methodology. But uh, at the core, we help people do four things at the, at the genesis of building a personal brand. And the first thing is to figure out what problem do you solve? What is the unique message you have for solving that problem? Who do you solve that problem for? And how do you make money solving that problem? And at its core, it's those four foundational things that everyone needs to start with. So it's what problem do you solve? What's your unique you know, take on solving that problem? Who do you solve it for? And then also, how do you make money solving it? And that's one of the things that makes us at Brand Builders Group really unique is we're not a typical branding firm. We're equally a business firm. It's like as much as we do personal brand strategy, we also do business strategy because we touch on the monetization part because you know we're not in it for the likes and the follows. <laughs> that's just an avenue of helping build a business which should make income. So that's at a very high level, and I'll, I'll let you break it down into our formula. But yeah, I mean, we you know we have a, a proprietary framework we've developed called the Brand DNA Helix, which is basically more or less it's just a set of six questions that our strategists will take somebody through, 
and the, you know, you basically you brainstorm answers to each of these six questions. And at the intersection or the overlap of those answers is where a person's uniqueness lies. Um, happy to walk through as many of the questions as we have time for here, for sure. But you know, if I if I could give you a shortcut, and this is something probably that we've learned even since we worked with you, Jim, because you were one of our earlier one of our earlier clients, and now we we have done this hundreds and hundreds of times working with clients. Um, what we we started to realize a very consistent theme, and we started to train our strategists to look for this to help pinpoint it faster. And and here's what we realized: you are always most powerfully positioned to serve the person you once were. You're most powerfully positioned to serve the person you once were. Um, the AJ talked earlier about the fakeness and the in the inauthenticity that that people can smell that they can sense it. Um, and you're, you're never being more real than when you're talking about what you have been through, what you have overcome. Now, um, to me, the way that that happens for any artist or any teacher or in, you know, any entertainer is, is going the, the more that I am taking people through an emotion that I have gone through, like the more I'm telling the story of my life, whether it is directly or it is suggestively, that creates the kind of emotional connectivity that causes a visceral response in the audience. And whether you're a writer, a speaker, a, a musician, or you're a CEO, we're all doing the same thing, which is we're learning to move people emotionally. Um, humans are emotional beings. And when we can write words and sing words and use words and, and images and ideas to create an emotional response in the listener, that is where our influence comes from. And, and we are most well-equipped to do that when we're speaking from the emotional place of the heartbreak we have experienced, the problem that we have solved, the questions that we have answered, and the paths that we ourselves have walked down. I think that is uh, probably one of the most poignant uh, answers uh, blended between the two of you that we could give people who are searching for what they truly are as an artist. You know, it's like, if you have had, you know, th th again, this, this comes back to the counsel that I have as a manager all the time. It's like, if you're 13 or 14 years old and you're a new artist starting out, I'm probably not going to suggest that you sing a song about divorce because mm. it's not real, right? right? Like you can't really sell it if you haven't been through it. Mm. And, um, and I think you're absolutely right. I think the marketplace, I think individuals sort of sniff out that inauthenticity. There are some people out there who are really good at selling it and who yeah. can get past uh, a big chunk of the, uh, viewers or listeners, but they're not going to get everybody. That's for sure. And not early on, right? You, it's like, if you're one of the concepts we talk about is Sheehan's wall, uh, which we named after one of our colleagues, Peter Sheehan, who originally inspired and shared the, the genesis of this idea with us, which is that in any industry or any profession or vertical, there's two groups of people. There are those who are unknown and there are those who are known. And there's this huge invisible wall between them, which we refer to as Sheehan's wall. And the way that most people try to break through Sheehan's wall is by doing a little bit of everything. 
Um, and so it's like, they have a lot of messages. They serve a lot of audiences. They got a lot of business models. They play a lot of roles and they, they are actually, that is how you bounce off the wall. And we complain about the noise, but we are the noise. <laughs> when we do that, we are the ones creating the noise. The way to break through the wall is to really become known for one thing and, and to be centered on this sort of like one uh, you know, emotion or one expertise or, or be the world's best at this one thing. And then that is how you break through the wall. And once you're on the other side of the wall, then you can expand into other things, other, you know, genres, other. How, how do you know you're there? Great question. Um, here, here's, here's what we have found is the, the simplest answer to that. You know, which side of the, your, of the wall you're on by if you're pushing or if you're being pulled. If you're having to push in everything, you're on the unknown side of the wall. You know that you're on the other side of the wall when you're constantly being pulled because you've been so successful that now you have all of these opportunities. Um, and that also requires a certain- uh, 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 Level of discipline. Level of discipline. <laughs> um, but that that's, that's it. But you're gonna break through the wall by being- closest to your uniqueness and operating from that spot at least that's what we we believe that's our our strategy yeah i mean that that makes all kinds of sense in the artistic world it's um it's interesting that for so long you push and then at some point you hit this critical mass where there's marketplace awareness and then really the job of the people surrounding that artist becomes more of a filter you know, like in the beginning, I'm an amplifier. And then at some point it's like, now I'm just saying no all the time. Like that's my job, right? I love that. Once an artist breaks through to a certain level, you're talking about the exact same thing. And I'm so grateful you guys are on this podcast because I think uh, for industry people who are looking to build out more of a definitive and refined personal brand, this is imperative information. Um, and I think for artists who, you know, are maybe struggling or haven't quite defined what they want to chase, this is going to give them uh, a lot to think about in terms of connecting back to what you said earlier, Rory, which is, you know, you are best designed to serve the person that you once were. So how are you guys each doing that now in your own lives, in your own careers? <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's such, a, such a funny question because we had such a role reversal when we started Brand Builders Group and our, our previous company, we were business partners before we fell in love and got married. And I was very much the business consultant, um, but I was the top salesperson. I was building all the teams. And that's, I was very front facing in terms of attracting the business, bringing the business in, nurturing the business, growing huge clients. And uh, Rory did a lot more on the backside, even though Rory's always been speaking and writing, but it's much more of, of the backside kind of like architecting of the business. And when we started Brand Builders Group, we made a very intentional decision that <laughs> it was the time it was time to swap. And I think what's fascinating for me is I spent a decade behind the scenes in executive boardrooms uh, looking at financial reports and helping build compensation plans and Although my role as a consultant was selling these projects and making sure they were successful, I was in these very high-level executive boardrooms seeing how these billion-dollar companies were being built, managed, or sometimes mismanaged uh, in that respect. And But I never really put that into 
application in our former business, but that's what I do 100% of the time now. I'm living into these strengths of what I was experiencing, but never putting into practice. And now as a mommy uh, with two little babies, uh, I didn't want to be client facing anymore. I didn't want to live on my client schedule. So uh, doing this intentional role reversal has allowed me to step into the clients that I served for 10 years. I'm now doing that for our own company. Mm -hmm. I always did it for others. And now I'm actually doing it for us for the first time in the last three years. Whereas Rory is now really the one who's out there driving the leads and is a, yeah, a very big change. And, and, and I, we haven't said this directly, but AJ is our CEO at Brand Builders Group. And I tell her this all the time. You you were born to yeah. be a CEO. She is a natural orchestrator and organizer. He's and, just and... being really nice saying you were born bossy. That's <laughs> what he's saying. Born bossy. It's called leadership. Here. It's leadership, AJ. <laughs> leadership. I, I'm really good at telling people what to do is what he's saying. But she looks at you know situations and, and she sees how things should be, you know, how they are and how they should be. I think you know part of our uniqueness at Brand Builders Group, you know, the the when we are we are leading people on the path that we, we went on yeah. right you know like for me it's funny like i never thought of myself as an artist and when it comes to actual you know music or painting or anything i have like zero artist ability <laughs> but i've realized as a writer and sort of a purveyor of ideas i'm i'm quite like an artist and you know my dream was to be a speaker i want i wanted to be on stage inspiring thousands of people and and I remember walking through the airport and seeing a book on the airport shelf and it says New York Times bestseller. And I was like, how do you do that? Right. Like that was my dream. And, you know, over the course of our career, we stepped through and 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 figured out a bunch of hoops. And 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 then we looked back and what took us 20 years is like, gosh, you should have been able to do that in five. If we had had someone there to just go do this and then do this, don't do that. You do need to do that, but not until you do this other thing first. And so it was like, don't just do the right things, do them in the right order. And so we just have the heart for anyone who wants to, who has a message inside of them, who feels a calling to get that message out into the world. We're really good at amplifying that, clarifying that, and then monetizing it. And so that is why we started Brand Builders Group. We actually had no plan to start this company. We exited our last business suddenly and unexpectedly. And you mentioned Lewis Howes. Lewis called us on the day it happened. We hadn't talked to him in two a, years. A, a, yeah, yeah, a year, at least. Yeah, a couple of years. It was two years, yeah. And he said, uh, hey, I'm, you know, my brand is really growing. For whatever reason, I think you guys can help. <laughs> you know, would you be open to working Divine with me? intervention. And it was like, well, we we're we're wide open. And, and Lewis comes, you know, he comes to the house, he becomes our first client. And then he has this extraordinary experience. And then he kind of like did a lot of the, but he was the one that said, this is your new business. You guys need to do for other people what you just did for me, which is how we found you and is how we've gotten here. And it was just because we have such a heart for what we call the mission driven messenger. Um, brand builders group is designed to serve the mission driven messenger. It's somebody who wants to make money. We like making money. Frankly, we're good at making money. It's one of AJ's spiritual gifts. Um, and, um, but it's like, we want the person who really is driven to make an impact. They're, they're, they're trying to create a movement. They're, they're, they're trying to make a difference, not just make a dollar. Um, 
and that's who we're drawn to and that's who we are and that's who our heart is for. And so I think, you know, when you say you're most powerfully positioned to serve the person you once were, I think that's who we were, that's who we are, that's who we serve. But I think also to that, I think this is neglected in a lot of conversations that, yeah, we wanted all those things, but we weren't ready to achieve them at that time. Like we weren't. And it was the journey of the process of learning everything that had to happen in order to be at a place that we could serve the person we once were. If we hadn't gone through all of those things, today would not be here. And so many people that we talk to and that we work with, they want to skip all of that. They want to go yeah. from, let's have this one conversation, and then I want to see those million followers. And it's like, well, that's yeah, not totally. how it works. I'm so sorry to inform you. Uh, that's not how it works. And people don't, they don't want to follow steps. They want that instant gratification. They want the immediacy factor without realizing, no, you develop this time, this all these skills over time. You develop your message over time. Uh, so, I mean, it took us 10 years to settle on Rory's first book, Take the Stairs, like 10 years. That did not happen in a, a setting. No, and it's it's interesting you say that because I often preach that sometimes the way around a problem is to go through it. You know, sometimes you need what you're going to glean from the experience of, of going, you know, of taking the long journey around, especially in 2020 hindsight, but you needed everything that you picked up, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes the way that you get to end up with your dream job is by doing seven or eight shitty jobs mm -hmm. that you didn't really enjoy and figuring out what you really liked and picking up the experience that you needed to finally get there. One thing I want to ask both of you guys, because I'm sure you run into this a lot. Um, you're both high performance people. Uh, you're both goal-driven. How do you balance this desire to achieve more and more with being satiated with the blessings that have been bestowed upon you so far? Because I think, uh, I don't care if you're a CEO or an artist or an individual who just has aspirations to achieve. Uh, one cycle I often see consistently is um, high achievers who are literally achieving things that are a marvel to everybody else. But if you talk to them, they feel like they, they're not moving the needle at all and they're doing nothing. How do you guys navigate that personally? And how do you counsel some of your clients through it? I think, I can't speak for you. I'll let you speak for yourself. But for me, it's deciding what you want more of and making those intentional decisions. And in my previous life, it was more accolades. It was more success. It was more money. It was more this. And then and the last three years, it's been a very intentional decision of, you know, what I want more of is time. And so it's being just super intentional at that season in your life of what is it that you want more of? And for us in this next season, it isn't more things, stuff, money. It's more time. But there what, was what kind of time, though? What do you mean by free that? Time, non-committed time, right? It's time, space, white space right? Time to do absolutely nothing other than play t-ball with my two boys and go on a walk, right? It's, it's that extra white space margin. And I think there you, in order to get to the next phase of what you want, there are things that you have to want today. And I don't think wanting more is bad. It's just, what is it that you want more of? And at what point is it going to be decidedly enough? And at what point will it change? And I think those are super inner reflective conversations that 
a lot of our clients don't ever have, and they don't know why they want more followers. They don't know why they want more business models. They don't know why they want more money. They and they wouldn't know how to feel fulfilled once they achieve what they think they want. It's a huge conversation piece because most of them don't know whatsoever. How about you, Rory? Yeah. Well, this is a pretty deep question, Jim. Look at look at you going uh uh philosophical on us. I um you know, you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, yeah of course. You, know, you got all this thing. It's been a huge uh, development and improvement in modern psychology and has informed so so many things about the way we all operate. Um, but at the top of Maslow's hierarchy is self-actualization. And as instructive and informative as that model has been, I actually think Maslow missed it a little bit. I think he was one rung short. And here's what I realized because of my own life. I spent such a you know, basically my entire first part of my life, completely self-centered, um, not selfish. It wasn't that I was taking away from other people. I was self-centered, achieving a result, a goal, an award. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful for it because the more you achieve it, at some point you realize it's never going to satisfy. Um, it's like you need- You another- also become very, very transactional with the energy you're willing to deploy. Right. Like there's a trap there and sorry to cut you off, but there's a trap there whereby if you are self-centered, you are only doing things that benefit you. Yeah. Right. And yeah. and that becomes a trap because then you lose sight of what your true purpose is, maybe even what your passion is or what your mission ultimately is in life. Right. That's very Continue. much connected to what what we're saying here, because. People, people, when you do that, you start to ask questions like, what is my purpose? What am I passionate about? And here's what it is. I think the rung that's higher than self-actualization is others' actualization. The real satisfaction, the, 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 the never-ending source of fulfillment is the joy that you experience from seeing another person achieve and knowing that you played a role in that. And that other's actualization is deep. It's a deep well of, of, of purpose. And so I think we, we even ask the wrong question of like, what's my purpose? I think the better question is, how can I help? How can I be useful? How can I serve? And we, the irony is through the context of evaluating just our, our own purpose in our own life, it's unclear. But as I connect my life in the context of another individual, it becomes very clear. There's a purpose, which is that, you know, it, it's, it's how can I help them? And that brings a feeling that money doesn't bring and awards don't bring. And, and that feeling is available to everyone immediately, whether you're famous or you're not, whether you're just starting out or, you know, you, you've been in the industry for, for 40 years. Um, and that that is something that we can all pursue and find find purpose through being useful to other people. So when you ask, how do I process that for me internally? I will never be satisfied per se. So I don't reach complacency. In fact, you know, in the Take the Stairs book, one of a uh, one of the most famous quotes that came out of that book was when we wrote, "Success is never owned; success is only rented, and the rent is due every day." Um, 
and I believe that service is never owned, service is never finished, service is rented. So we have this desire, no matter how successful we are, no matter how much we've achieved, we want, we're doing this not because we need the money. We want to serve the clients and we want to serve our team. We want to create great opportunities for them. But number one, our, the priority is we're going to serve God. And so we're going to serve each other. We're going to serve our kids. And then we're going to serve our team and our clients. And so the balance, it, it, it strikes this really nice um, balance of going, we're never satisfied that we're going to stop growing, but we're not racing to some invisible finish line of some, you know, materialistic uh, uh, mirage that's that's not real. We are we are pursuing constant, never-ending improvement. But our priority is always, you know, to serve God, serve each other, serve the family, and so that 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 service balances it out, and it becomes clear in the context of others. But if I'm only evaluating it through the lens of what makes me happy, it gets real cloudy and 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 really hard to navigate. Well, and I think happiness and fulfillment are two different things. You know, I mean that that there's a big distinction between those things. And I think that um, you know, the other reality is a lot of people feel like if they if they chase that mountaintop, once they get there, they're gonna have all their boxes checked. They're going to be happy across the board. And then they get to the top of that mountain. I see this with artists all the time. And it's like, all they can do is, is look at the next mountain peak and go like, how long is it going to take me to climb that one? And, and listen, there's, there's power in that motivation of wanting to do better and achieve more. But I love what you said about using the well, the, the never ending well of the desire to serve as motivation, because that's a message that just needs to be preached these days, man, more than ever. All the great religions, including Christianity, have preached it forever. It's funny that we seem to have lost that in culture. You know, now it's it's superficialities and, you know, people might even accuse you guys of helping people build followers. But what you're the intent that you're coming from and the motivation you have of pushing people to exploit their uniqueness in the service of others is an unending motivation and something that just never runs out of fuel. And and I thank you for that. First of all, um, I would say, and uh, you know, self-centeredness is still something I very much struggle with. And I think it is something that all influencers and people will, you will struggle with this. It's a human. It's a it's human. human. It's the human experience. But, um, you know, we're not, we, we, I, we don't have a lot of musical talent. That's not like what, what a person. And by a lot, he means <laughs> we don't. <laughs> but, but um, here's what I would say to me, the most exciting artist is not the one who is pursuing fame and followers. To me, the most exciting artist is the one who is pursuing incredible music, um, who is pursuing the transference of human emotion into song in the most real way, that person is dangerous, right? Like the person who's pursuing fame and money, they can be led in all sorts of directions. There's all sorts of things that can then pull, pull them off. But the person who's like pursuing the art of like communicating feeling and emotion and striving to create better music, I mean, that person is, is gonna get to the next level and they can't be distracted with worldly incentives and 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 these misleading um 
you know, kind of hopes. Uh, that's exciting. And, and I think, again, to what, to what the data tells us, so what AJ was talking about earlier, that's what people are drawn to is that just complete authentic alignment and, and just passion and vulnerability and whatever you want to call it. So I, I love that. And I'm so glad that we took some time to go off on this tangent. Cause I think it's really important for people to understand that, you know, and it's very logical, like a, to some degree we're communal and, and tribal, even though we do have self-preservation uh, attributes within all of us, you know, and, and self-exemplification, we all want to serve the greater good on some level, some more than others, but it's such an important message. And I, I really believe that if you can find a way to do that with your art or in your case with your uniqueness, then you'll never run out of motivation. You'll change lives. You'll be inspired by inspiring others. And, um, and it's just, you know, I'm glad we spent some time on it because I think it's something that needs to be talked about. So as you guys are, are building out your business, are you finding that most of the entrepreneurs you're dealing with are, uh, are pretty well self-defined in terms of the representation of themselves that they want to present to the world? Or is there a lot of work to be done in the, um, in the, the genesis stage of helping them determine and figure out uh, what kind of personal brand they want to put forth? Yes, they definitely need help. There, it's not a clear, this is what my message is. This is what I'm about. In fact, so many people try to create their message and determine what problem they solve by not look, looking inwardly, but by looking outwardly of, all right, what is my industry doing? What's popular on social media? What's happening in the media? What's trendy versus you know, who am I mm. and why am I here? And what, what am I here to talk about and who am I here to serve? Those aren't questions that people come with prepared answers for. It's more of, well, I can't talk about shame because that's what Brene Brown talks about. Well, why on God's green earth can't you also talk about it? And they very much compare themselves to anyone who's in their space thinking, well, I can't do that. So I have to do this, even if they have no real experience in it even if that's not what's their own truth, they look outwardly for everything. And so they're a huge part of what we do in the beginning of working with our clients is it's a, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's a lot of counseling a little bit. It's really asking some deep questions that people are going, I don't know the answer to that. I've never thought about it because I only look around. I never look in. Yeah, it's funny. I had uh, Brad Belanger on the podcast who runs oh. Homestead Entertainment. You yeah. guys know him we quite well. We he manages Brad. Sam Hunt and, yeah. and uh, Dustin Lynch. He's a good friend of mine. He talked about, and, and this applies to what we're discussing right now, the certainty of an artist's message. You know, that once you have the certainty to understand that you are likely to piss off a certain percentage of the audience while you attract the people who are going to be your people forever, once you've defined that, refined it and settled on it, all the doors open and the direction of the path you're going to take becomes so much easier. And it, it must be similar in your world when you're dealing with people who are trying to figure out like, Hey, I've been really successful across all these realms and domains of business. But like now I have an Instagram account, a Twitter account. I'm trying to 
build a following and I don't know what to talk about. It's like, once you decide what message, you know, you need to put out to the world, everything starts to fall into place. It's true. I think so much of it, it's about that intentional clarity, um, but having intentional blinders on. Um, so many of the people we work with could talk about dozens of things. They could do entrepreneurship and leadership and branding and marketing um, and creative, and they could do all these things. But it's like, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And right. I think that's a huge part of what we help people do is just fine tune and finesse what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. Uh, based on, again, these six questions that we talked about earlier, which is, you know, what, what problem do you solve, but equally balance that with what are you passionate about? Just because you right. can solve it doesn't mean that's your thing. And so you've got to balance these external and internal questions as you go through this process for yourself. You know, one of the other sets of questions we ask is what would people buy from you? but what business do you actually want to be in? And most people just go, well, people would buy this, so I'll create that. Well, people may do this, so I'll do this without actually filtering it through this, this internal filter of, but this is what I'm called to do. This is what I want right. to do. This is what I'm meant to do instead of the exterior, more external factors of, well, this is popular. This will make me money. Uh, this is what everyone else is doing. And I think uh, all, all of our clients are at a beginning. They're not all at the beginning, but they're at a beginning. Uh, one of AJ's specialties is reinvention. And, and you know, like Lewis would be an example of that. He didn't come to us at the beginning. He was wildly successful. He already had 30 million downloads on his podcast when we started working with him. Lewis House. Lewis yeah. House. But now he, in the last two years, he's gone from 30 million to 300 million. Um and and part of that is you know a, a focus and the clarity about like self doubt is what you know his brand has has really zeroed in on and and become about um and i and i think to what aj is saying our encouragement to people is to chase truth not trends mm -hmm. and a lot of people are chasing trends they're 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 doing hacks right they're trying to go like what hashtags do I have to post to get on the front page? And it's like, if you're, if you're doing that, you're always going to be chasing trends. And even if you catch it, it's going to change. If you chase truth and you build on that, it's going to get better and better and better. And, and it's going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. And you have more of a chance to lead than follow. Yes. And you have a chance to last and be sustainable, even if it's a slower build to get there. And that's the part that people don't, don't want to do. They, they want the, 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 the immediate immediacy of it. Um, but it's fleeting, you know, chasing trends is fleeting. Chasing truth is sustainable. Um, it's, it's powerful. It's lasting. It's durable and it's unique. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it reminds me of a, another one of a great quote that we love is another one of our friends, Sally Hogshead. She says, different is better than better. Um, different is better than better. And when you're chasing truth, you're different because you're you. You're the one thing that nobody else can be. And you're, you're going deeper inside, like what she was saying. And, and and you're not you're not looking externally but that's work it's scary hard emotional risky vulnerable 
work and a lot of people don't want to do it. And there's a big difference because being different is somewhat objective. Being better can, especially in the arts, be somewhat subjective. Um, let's talk a little bit about monetization. Let's assume that the individuals that, that are listening have defined uh, their artistic prowess or their specialty skill. They have a following. Um, one thing I loved when I, when I sat down with both you guys in Nashville is you explained the dares formula uh, to me. So let's talk a little bit about that and how once you have a following, once you have a product, once you have authenticity, once you've got all that locked in and dialed, how do you now start to create something that is going to mean money in your pocket? Yeah. Um, you want to start it with me too? Well, I'll just tell you very quickly. It's like, you know, Jim, you mentioned dares. And this is just a really simple acronym that we use to go, we don't think you're going to hit all of these, but it's how many of these can you check off to create something that is digital, automated, recurring, evergreen, and scalable, right? And so a part of this is trying to build something that doesn't suck up every single extra moment of your time as something that doesn't require you to be in person every single time that you do it right? Because that's a, that's a finite amount of, of time that you have. We're not trying to do maximum exposure. Uh, we want something that lasts. Uh, and, you know, I think a lot of times too, people think evergreen means you build it once and you never update it. That's not what we're saying. It's that you update it infrequently. You don't have to make it every single time. But if you can do something that's digital, automated, recurring, evergreen, and scalable, it also creates extra what I was talking about earlier, what I'm so much searching for is margin. It's white space to do that next thing, to explore that next thing, because you're not every single moment is sucked up into what you're doing right now. And yeah, so, you're not trading money for time and time for money. That's right. And so again, we there's very few business models that will hit all five of those at the same time, but it's how many of those can you hit to create that extra margin while also not sacrificing, you know, money coming in, but allows you to explore other interests, passions, desires. And this is this is a place where I think Brand Builders Group is entering more into working with artists because we have a skill set and a set of knowledge for how to monetize a personal brand in ways that would be considered non-traditional, I think, from what most, you know, let's say musicians would do, right? Like it's not just selling records or concert tickets or merch. It's going, how can you make money 24 hours a day, seven days a week from your fan base mm -hmm. without you having to be there? And what are the ways that we can create content that's scalable and leverage that and create digital systems? You know, digital marketing is a, a huge part of what we also educate and show people what to do and how to do it. Um, and so I think we're, we're naturally being drawn more and more into working with artists of going, because, you know, it's like as a speaker, a speak, speaking is a precarious model. It's like you have to be on an airplane, on a stage in front of a live audience. Not that different from a musician at a concert, right? And something like COVID hits and you go, oh. well, holy hell, like if that's my only way of making money, I'm in deep freaking doo-doo. For us, it was an easy pivot, right? We lost our speaking income. It went to zero, like all, all of our events canceled like everybody else. But we had all these digital marketing mechanisms and these other ways of monetizing we just we just pivoted a lot of artists haven't been able to do that because they don't understand digital they don't understand funnels they don't understand recurring they don't understand online traffic whether it's paid or organic 
and they don't have a strategy, frankly. And a lot of companies don't have a great strategy for it um, because it's been this emerging area. So I think helping people, mon helping, let's just say musicians monetize in what would appear to them as non-traditional ways is something that we're having more and more conversations about every day. Plus we live in Nashville, right? So we're kind of like in the community. People always assume we're in the music business yeah. just because we're living in Nashville. <laughs> but, but I think it's one of these things where like with anything, it's take the creative outlet that you have in one area and now it apply it to a business area. There are dozens, if not hundreds of business models for anyone out there who's willing to take a creative skill set and just apply it in a new direction. And, but that takes a little bit of strategy and a little bit of sitting back of going, how do I take all of these skill sets that I've gained over the years and apply them in a new way that will still allow me to do what I love and serve the audience I want to serve and still make money. Even if it's not me on stage or me making music, it's in that same avenue. Like, I, I love this story that there was this um, cycle bar uh, here in Nashville, you know, it's clearly when COVID hit. No one was going to the workout facilities and they were like, WTF, what are we going to do? And so they immediately said, okay, well, if no one's coming here, they're not going anywhere. And they pivoted their business model and they, they're not going to repivot back. And instead of being this in, you know, in cycle studio, you now rent their bikes and they do all of the bikes. So instead of buying, you know, a $5,000 bike, you can rent these bikes for 20 bucks a month. And they'll drop them off. And now you have a subscription service that you're also paying for the live streaming. And it's it's the same thing, but in a new different medium. And so it's taking that creative outlet of going, this is what we want to do, but how do we deliver it in a variety of mediums that can create a scalable business model that doesn't require my presence? Innovation makes you bulletproof, mm. right? If you can innovate and adapt, then you know, the world's your oyster, especially during times like this. I mean, look at Peloton. Look at how that company has shot through the roof in the last 12 months. <laughs> you know, great idea, but man, COVID really accelerated things for them. It was just uh, just the absolute perfect storm. Well, I know you guys offer a broad array of, of services and consultation. What program are you offering that you believe is the most effective in terms of helping artists hone their personal brand and then take it to the point of monetization? Mm. Well, so our, our core business model is one-on-one -on -one coaching. I mean, that is, that is what we do. And the, the way to start uh, is just to request a call with our team. So if you go to freebrandcall.com forward slash Cressman, freebrandcall.com forward slash Cressman, um, you can request a call and we'll just talk to you, right? Because we're very human in our interaction is a very one-on-one -on -one, um, relationship that we have with people. But we need people to ask the questions. They need to know if it's a good fit. Right. We're not interested in working with people who aren't sure if it's a good fit, just like you shouldn't be interested in working with us if you're not sure this is what you want to do. So it's a really good, honest time to have a real conversation and glean some very important takeaways of what direction do I really want to go in? Yeah, and if you if you if you go there, um, you'll fill out a little form. It'll guide you, and it'll say, "Hey, here's what we recommend as the next step for you." Um, and one of those might be talking to one of our teammates. And then um, we've got a number of different programs. I mean, some are very very affordable. Some are you know a little bigger investment, and we work in in deeper ways. But it's kind of like across the board. I mean, even if you're a new artist, we can work with you. And and then we work with 
major celebrities. I mean, we work with people who are on the New York Times bestseller list, the cover of Time Magazine. We have several billionaire clients. Like, so it's we can a work, wide spectrum. Wide spectrum, but we only work with people. We don't work with companies. We we work with people. So we can work with an executive of a company, but we're working with that person's face, that person's heart, that person's message. And then we're gonna, you know, part of the strategy is what do we want to drive all that awareness back to, which could be, you know, any number of things. But go to freebrandcall.com slash Cressman. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate you taking the time today, giving people a little bit of an idea of what you do, but uh, also uh, being liberal with your secrets, right? And uh, and helping people really develop a perspective for how you could help shape uh, their brand, how you could help monetize it. Um, I mean, you're just both beautiful people and congratulations on the success of your company. I'm so thrilled to know both of you. Thank you. Yeah, the feeling is mutual. Absolutely. Thanks, Jim. Great to have you guys on.